This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put it What's he up the right sideline? He's got to go. He's tackled Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Welcome to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson, joined as always by Mike Craven. Mike in undisclosed location. How are you, buddy? Doing pretty good. It was an exciting day of, of college football in and out of the state. Yeah, boy, was it. Um, so, I mean, there's really no choice. Oh, well, I'll, I'll say this. At, 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 at about 3 o'clock yesterday, after that crazy Red River game, I was like, okay, well, that's what we're leading with, right? Like, that. why would we lead with anything else? Possibly the best Red River game ever. Um you know, just every storyline came out, every, you know, individual performances out the butt, all that stuff. You were on hand for it, of course. So, of course, it would be, oh, it'd be the perfect game to lead off. With. And then, you know, first quarter, A&M, oh, Alabama, oh, man, they're, they're really, they're keeping it close, okay. Second quarter, they're, they're really controlling this, okay. Third quarter, they're, they're not letting up yet. <laughs> all of a sudden, A&M pulls one of the biggest upsets in recent memory, especially in this state, um, Jimbo Fisher becomes the first assistant of Nick Saban to beat Nick Saban as a head coach. And we have a new headline for this podcast. Um, <laughs> A&M 41, number one, Alabama 38. Let's just jump right into it. Um, there's really no point in, in pretending that we're going to talk about anything else right now. J- uh, Jimbo Fisher, I think, called the game that I was waiting for him to call for Zach Calzada. Um, Looking at it, uh, I think Travis Brown had an article heading into the week, how Jimbo Fisher's play calling had not differed since Zach Calzada came into the game from the past couple of years with Kellen Maud. Uh, I think the stats showed that he, they basically were a 59% pass team in the past couple of years. And he's basically called passes 58% of the time with Zach Calzada. That's been too much. It's been too much. And it showed when Zach Calzada struggled. So all of a sudden, Saturday comes out and basically calls a 50-50 game. And I think that was the best thing he could have did because Zach Calzada looked a lot more comfortable against a defense that could have absolutely ate his lunch. And he decides to go with Devon Chan, he decides to go with Isaiah Spiller, even through, I think, seven total passes to those guys too. So like, even 50-50, I want to say it leans way more to just leaning more on the running backs. And AM pulls like a huge upset. I mean, what did you see? What, what are your thoughts on that? Because I mean, I thought this was this game proved why AM spent $75 million on Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, I mean, we're not geniuses, right? We just watch football a lot and stuff. And and we've been calling for the last couple of weeks to to have Isaiah Spiller and David or Devon Achain. Touched the ball at least 30 times. They touched the ball 31 times yesterday between running and passing the ball. So, uh, you know, you use your best players. And Nia Smith had a really good game. Uh, Weidemeyer had a, had a huge impact on that game. So um, those guys you've been recruiting over the last couple of years to compete in these games against Alabama were utilized in a way that 
it had been confusing as to why they weren't being utilized that way when they were scoring 10 points against Colorado and against uh, Arkansas and struggling against Mississippi State. So that was nice to see. And it took pressure off the offensive line. It didn't ask the offensive line to just sit there and one-on-one win pass pro battles you know, with future NFL players. They used play action. They kept them off balance. They swung the ball out. They used screens. They did a lot of quick passing stuff to just get the ball out of Zach's hands and let the really good, fast playmakers you recruited out of Houston uh, do really well. I think Jimbo Fisher reminded us why A&M gave him so much money. Uh, He reminded us why he is kind of considered a quarterback guru and somebody can hide a lot of mistakes offensively. And then I thought the defense played really well. I feel like they were challenged and it was like, okay, we're, if we have a chance to win this game, it ended up not being this way, but I think all week it was, if we have a chance to win this game, we're going to have to turn, we're going to have forced turnovers. We're going to have forced field goals. And we're going to have to win a couple individual matchups that maybe people don't think we're going to do. And those guys were flying around the football. That was an inspired, inspired effort by A&M. The, the crowd was tremendous. The atmosphere looked like one of those just kind of undescribable uh, atmospheres at Kyle Field. So a, a really good game. And I think it erased the last two weeks. It doesn't maybe on the schedule. And, yeah, they're not going to compete for a college football playoff spot with two losses already and stuff like that. But it does show that A&M is moving in the direction that that fan base thought. Now it's just about consistency, figuring out the quarterback position, getting the offensive line grown up. But it was a win you can plant your flag in, and it helps with recruiting. They had a ton of recruits there last night. To see a win over Alabama, to see a stadium rocking like that, that's going to pay huge, huge dividends, specifically in Houston. Because if you look, mm-hmm. if we listed mm-hmm. the top 10 guys from yesterday's impact-wise, right? Yeah. Eight of them were from Houston. And so that's going to really help uh, recruiting and kind of get that momentum back. Because we've talked about Texas joining the SEC. We've talked about Oklahoma joining the SEC. This is one of those where Jimbo can go, look, we don't have to catch up to Alabama like those teams. We've already beat that team. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a it was a big win. It was a put them on the table type win for AM. And uh, yeah, they're celebrating last night and today for good reason. I think that the big thing for me is that AM didn't come out scared. They didn't yeah. come out like a team that knew, oh no, a- Alabama's coming to town. We just had these bad losses to Mississippi State. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. Alabama averages 25 and a half points a game in the first half. And I'm holding the 10 in the first half. Of course, they scored 28 in the second half because they're Alabama and they're, they weren't going to just be shut down the whole game. And Bryce Young was probably with Bijan Robinson, one of the other Heisman frontrunners in the country. And he came out and looked a little rattled in the first half. Came out, looked a lot better in the second half, made some plays when he needed to. But in the first half, he could tell he wasn't a guy who was used to having pressure. He wasn't a guy who was used to running out of the pocket a lot. And the front seven specifically really got, I think really, really set the tone early and the secondary allowed them to kind of keep that momentum and keep that pressure and basically force them to kind of force feed Brian Robinson at uh, at running back. And he had a great game, but um, I just think that you mentioned the defense. I just was was absolutely stellar and that had to be the backbone for A&M and then going back to offense. I mean, I've ripped Zach Calzada. This podcast has ripped Zach Calzada. The country's ripped Zach Calzada, right? We saw a guy who Jimbo Fisher trusted. And we saw a guy who, when the game came down to it, put a, put passes on the money to Jalen Weidemeyer, to Anaya Smith towards the end of the game to win it. 
um, or to to to, uh, to go up or go up late, come back after seemingly breaking his leg. Looked like he broke his leg to me. I don't know. It looked that looked like a terrible hit that he took. Drove down the field, put Seth Small in position to win the game. I mean, the, I think I think the thing that it, that that showed for me was he was somebody who we know he had a big arm. And he flashed that big arm a couple of times. He was somebody who I think needed more touch on his passes. And I think that's what kind of showed. They had some of the wheel routes to uh, Isaiah Spiller that had a little bit of touch on it. And he said, okay, if he can reel that arm strength in a bit, there's something there. And you see why. And I think he's one of those quarterbacks in practice where Jimbo sees him able to put touch on his passes, put a little bit less and take a little bit less velocity on him to hit these receivers. And when he does, he looks good. And it's like, okay, I see why, you know, Jimbo was late to name Haynes King the starter uh, officially because he probably sees this guy in practice do some of these things and just in the game didn't really click. And so I think that he called it perfectly to be able to not rely on him. I mean, they didn't run the ball great, right? They only averaged, I think, three and a half yards per carry. But what a chain and Spiller do is they bust out the occasional 10-yard run. Right. Just to keep the defense physical enough to keep them uh, honest. And they got him in the passing game. Anaya Smith got him involved. I mean, he was obviously a running back converted to gadget wide receiver slot kind of weapon. He was in perfectly in this game. And when you have three options like that, that are safety blankets, in addition to, I didn't even mention Jalen Weidemeyer, who's the ultimate safety blanket. You have him. You don't need wide receivers, like uh, traditional wide receivers, right? I'm looking at it right now. Anaya Smith, Weidemeyer, A-Chain, Spiller. Those are the top four receivers in this game for AM. There's one, there's no traditional wide receivers there. Anaya Smith was running back last year, right? De- and, those, Des- and those are guys that can play for Alabama. Yeah, 100%. Like, you, 100%. You, look, you look on the field, and Jalen Weidemeyer looks like an Alabama player. Isaiah 100%. Spiller would be the starting running back at Alabama right now. Um, so, yeah, they gave the balls to the guys that, that they needed to. And it shows that the locker room is where it's supposed to be. You you lose two in a row and you know, you're hosting Alabama If that locker room doesn't believe in the direction that this thing is going. And they don't believe in Zach Calzada and they don't believe in Jimbo Fisher. They get blown out on Saturday. And a lot of us thought that's what was going to happen. Instead, they showed up like, uh, like a team that was undefeated and knew that they could, they could beat Alabama. And uh, yeah, it was just an impressive performance all the way around. And I I thought Jimbo uh, really just kind of showed his chops there. And now, to me before we move on to red river now you look at the schedule and it's like okay like that was the biggest hurdle right again they're not going to make a playoff they have two losses already but now you look at they got missouri south carolina i think those are absolute i mean obviously winnable i think they should be favored in those two games then you get auburn Ole miss is going to be tough auburn's going to be tricky it's always tricky when they play AM. but regardless i think those are three winnable games one game you'll probably have to eke out against Ole miss we'll see and then you get prairie view and lsu like you can finish the season. Like, I, I mean, what, five and one in that stretch? One, two, three, four, five and one in that stretch. And all of a sudden, we were talking about, oh, geez, AM season. What happened there? Of course, it's not the season we thought, but this could be nine, 10 win season right there. And it, that, that's insane. But I think considering the jump that they took, and again, I think it goes back to Jimbo's play calling and why he is the offensive mind that, that he is. I mean, all of a sudden the season's turned around seemingly, and now it could be turned around, I should say. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about eight and four being a good year, you know, because we assumed they were going to be, you know, to three losses, you know, today or whatever. Eight and four was going to be good. Now 10 and two is attainable. 
You know, mm-hmm. they got Auburn at home, so that helps. You know, at Ole Miss is kind of the biggest test left on that. You know, they could run the table easily. They play like they did yesterday. They should run the table. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, just a great job by Jimbo Fisher and that staff of just kind of regrouping the team, putting the past, past losses to bed and just taking it, you know, the way coaches talk about, take it one week at a time. What happened previously, what happened in the future doesn't matter. We're going to line up and play this game. They did exactly that. They used a game plan and they played cleaner than mm-hmm. Alabama. I would say they played harder than Alabama. Like that was just a really inspired performance. And a lot of that yeah. showed what we were missing in 2020. That's why fans make a difference. You know, mm-hmm. like that, like we saw it at the Red River game and we saw it at Kyle Field. Fans make a difference and they made a huge difference last night. Yep. All right, moving on. Um, Mike Craven is 12, 13 p.m. in Oklahoma, beat Texas in the most gut-wrenching fashion possible. Um, <laughs> so I think that was, as far as heartbreaking Red River losses, I mean, I'd got to go back to Roy, the Roy Williams hit on Chris Sims as far as like gut punch losses because Oklahoma 55, Texas 48, ah, Texas leads 28-7. They have Oklahoma absolutely rattled. They're moving the ball. They can't, Oklahoma can't do anything on offense. And then all of a sudden Oklahoma puts in a better quarterback and Caleb Williams, five-star and the game completely switches. Texas, Texas forgets how to tackle. Texas forgets how to cover. Uh, actually, I can't even say they made they forget how to cover. Marvin Mims just decided he was going to become every best, every great Oklahoma receiver in one um, and just made some incredible uh, individual plays. Um, but they definitely forgot how to tackle Kennedy Brooks. And I think that defensive line just got pushed around. I think in the second half, that offensive line just lost all the momentum and push it had. And that kind of neutralized Bijan Robinson for a certain extent. But I mean, well, you were there like that, that the Texas had that game. That is ever the perfect start for that game. You have Oklahoma completely rattled. And then it just, I've never seen a game just flip like that completely. And you could see it going into halftime too. Cause that, that Texas defense was gassed. I mean, it yeah. was a hot, it was a hot day and they had faced about 10 or 15 more plays. Cause you got to remember Texas scored on the first play of the, of the, of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they blocked a A&M punt and, or an Oklahoma punt and then scored on the second or second play of that next drive. So they had ran three offensive plays and were up 14, nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that defense there, conversely, the defense was on the field a lot and they just do not have the depth. They were, they were gassed. I mean, that, it's as simple as that. They didn't forget how to tackle. They didn't have the energy to tackle. I mean, mm-hmm. they were just getting beaten up. You would, you know, the TV camera doesn't always show this, but you would look where the play ended and then you would get your eyes back to the line of scrimmage. And it's this three or four Oklahoma offensive linemen just laying on top of Texas defensive linemen. <laughs> right. stuff. You know, like, uh, and, and it just shows it was what the Arkansas game was. Texas mm-hmm. is not there along the offensive line and the defensive line. And until they are, everything else is obsolete. Like, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter if Casey Thompson or Hudson Card is the better quarterback. It doesn't matter if Xavier Worthy is, you know, a future first-round draft pick. It doesn't matter if Bajon Robinson is the next coming of Ricky Williams. You can't block anybody. You know, mm-hmm. you're in shotgun, and you can't even get the snap turn and set your feet and look for a wide receiver before you're running around. Robinson was getting the ball and he was having to make a guy miss. I mean, he was doing outstanding plays to get two or three yards at times like that. And then conversely, they give up 663 something yards on offense. You know, I think Oklahoma averaged like eight point something yards per rush. So uh, they just got beat up. They got bullied. They got manhandled. 
you know, I would argue the only reason they were ever up that much, one, it was just kind of a quick start, you know, but mm -hmm. also Sark put them in position to do that well offensively. Like sure. he, he schemed them away from those band-aids that were exposed in the second half and they just ran out of bullets. It was like, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. It cut off Oklahoma off guard. They couldn't really just pin their ears back in like blitz because they didn't know where they were going to attack the field. And mm -hmm. in the second half, you could tell they just kind of ran out of the playbook. And Oklahoma was like, well, they don't got anything left. You know, we're just going to we're just going to pin our, t our ears back and go after the quarterback. And it was a beatdown. I mean, it, it was. And if Oklahoma scores touchdowns instead of field goals early, you know, it, it's a close game the whole time. If they don't yeah. turn the ball over or get a punt blocked or let Xavier Worthy, worthy you know, go 75 yards on the first play, it never felt like Texas was dominating in that game. And that's one of those things about the Red River. Like, there's no other place where an 18-point lead feels like nothing because mm -hmm. momentum mm -hmm. just turns so fast in that stadium um, that you could just kind of see it happening. You could see the Oklahoma fans have more and more belief. You could see the Texas fans just kind of getting quieter and quieter and just, like, hoping the clock – would run out and it just didn't. I think Oklahoma right. found a quarterback. Um, and Kennedy Brooks is tremendous. Marvin Mims is tremendous. And it's another Texas OU game where Texas players kill the Longhorns. And that that's that's the point, right? You got mm -hmm. guys in DFW who probably should have been harder recruited by UT, probably should have ended up in Orange. Instead, they're in Oklahoma beating your brakes off in, in the Red River shootout. And it, that's just exactly what it was. I think – I think Sark's the right guy. I, I think mm. they came out ready to play. They had a good offensive game plan. Casey Thompson has four touchdown passes. Bajon Robinson has 100 yards rushing in the first half. Everything's going well. Defense looked okay mm. uh, in the first half, or at least opportunistic, right? I was they, about to say, they, they, yeah. They, they at least they, played well in the red zone, and they come up with a couple turnovers. They're winning the special teams battle. That's coaching. To me, that yeah. is coaching. Mm. The second half was about the players, and mm. he just does not have those guys yet in the trenches to compete in real games against Oklahoma, Arkansas, and then eventually in the SEC. They're going to have to hit the transfer portal hard this year. I wouldn't be surprised if they bring in three guys to start offensive line over sure. over. And the, and the selling point should be easy. Look, you're going to block for Bajon Robinson. He has to be here for one more year. Mm -hmm. You're going to block for a guy that every NFL scout in the world is going to watch. Come here, start, and, you know, lead the next Heisman winning trophy guy or whatever it is or whatever. But until they fix the offensive line, defensive line, they're just simply not a contender. They're just not that good of a team uh, without those two position groups being at par. Yeah. I think that one of the things that I noticed in this game was, and I guess, I mean, specifically with Oklahoma too, you mentioned the atmosphere of this game and just how, I mean, the 50, 50 split crowd, like it, to me, it's the best environment in college football. Um, and you need a, I mentioned it last week with Casey Thompson, uh, or I should say the, was TCU last week? God, my time's a blur. Um, the, the, how Casey Thompson didn't necessarily play great, right? And you need those short-term memory losses or just you need to kind of play in a vacuum. And I think take Casey Thompson at times did that, right? Every, when Oklahoma started to come back, it just, his head was down and didn't matter, right? He saw Xavier Worthy, who we'll talk about him in a bit, but he, he kept finding Xavier Worthy. He just kept making throws he needed to. And I think conversely, I don't think Spencer Rattler's cut out for this game. It's the second year he got benched. Um, and it's a guy who I think the moment got to him multiple times. And you mentioned the defense, Texas defense, they were opportunistic. And I think that's the thing that with Pete Kwiatkowski that will, that will flourish when he gets players that are able to play it consistently for a full game. 
is that he'll have a defense that's able to make plays. You see flashes of how aggressive they can be, something that they haven't been um, in a while. It's, it's kind of, I think, Bill Conley used to refer to it as uh, havoc plays, where it's like, you know, tackles for a loss, sacks, you know, aggressive pass breakups, things like that. That's something that Pete Kwiatkowski was able to flash in that first half. And when you saw Spencer Rattler pressing, a lot right he was he, you could tell that he's like he's that guy who wants to make the big play now and Casey Thompson's not necessarily that guy but he didn't let things spiral it was like okay Oklahoma's coming back cool we'll be okay right and then he'll hit the big play when he needs to but it's not the guy that's going to force it every single time and so when Oklahoma put somebody else in who was who thought that way as well oh uh, Xavier Worthy just hit a 60 yard pass okay time to come back to Marvin Mims Caleb Williams was able to kind of balance that out. And I think that is, I mean, you, that's a great point about this game where you have to be able to take a counterpunch in this game every single year. You're going to see that we've seen it with underdog Texas teams. We saw it last year with that wild overtime game. We saw it with the Sam Ellinger game against Kyler Murray where they won. This game is just about swings because of that environment, because you mentioned how the crowds just, one thing goes right crowds back in it right and I think the thing that really stood out to me was how I think that Texas fans know that this team quite isn't there yet right in terms of just the players and I think that when they saw Oklahoma start to come back it was like oh I don't know you know I don't think they have the horses you can kind of see the crowd kind of feel it turning a bit. And again, that's not on Sark. That's not on, you know, these guys just aren't there yet. They don't have the depth yet. Oklahoma has been where they are for forever. And so I do want to hit on Xavier Worthy though, because heading into the year, we wanted to know who was the receiver for this guy. Was it Jordan Whittington? Was it Joshua Moore? Was Xavier Worthy? I this guy was insane, man. He went up in the biggest game of the year for Texas and just, I mean, right from the get-go, screen, boom, done. Like, right? Like he he every counterpunch, Marvin and Mims threw at them, Caleb Williams threw at them, Xavier Worthy went to Casey Thomas, like, I got this. I'm the guy. And I'm the captain now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm the captain now. And so now. You look at this offense, and again, this isn't a finished product, but you look at a Casey Thompson, you look at a Bijan Robinson, you look at an Xavier Worthy. Okay, there are your three pillars of this offense, right? Potentially. And now, of course, Jordan Whittington's probably out, unfortunately, but Joshua Moore looks like a capable number two. Now, those are guys you can build around. That, to me, heading into the season was the biggest thing that I needed to see from this team under Sark was... Who is going to be, he's not going to have a Devontae Smith right away. He's not going to have a uh, Jalen Waddle right away. But who are the guys next year, the year after, that he can point to and be like, that's the guy that I'm going to look at to make this explosive offense what it can be. And we're starting to see the pillars of that. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think Bajan Robinson is the most talented player in the country right now. And I think, I mean, obviously when you have him to build everything around, you just need those other pieces to prop themselves up a little bit. And I think he's starting to get that. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the guy Xavier Worthy reminds me of, and that is Devonte Smith. Like that—that mm-hmm. that is who that guy reminds me of. And I, you know, I think if you're a Texas fan listening to this, it can be summed up this way: those three players you mentioned—that's a wide receiver from California, that's a running back from Arizona, that's a quarterback from Oklahoma. Yeah. You know, this this last staff just did not draw 
you know, a line around the state of Texas. And then you, you look at what A&M did last night. And just, we just mentioned all of their best players are, are Texas. All from Texas. Yeah. Except for Calzada who played a really good game or whatever, but you know, you got, you got big time Texas recruits helping A&M beat Alabama. And then you got some out of state guys keeping Texas in a game with Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And that's just a failure of the previous staff to really identify and develop players within the state. That's job one for Sark, you know, like, this year, he's got to deal with what he's got to deal with, you know, from a from a personnel standpoint. But job number one is identifying and developing talent within the state to put around those guys. And then you got to fix the offensive line. Like you just, mm-hmm. you, just you know, you got Derek Kerstetter playing three different positions in his sixth year. You got four or five star recruits that are just getting beat before the they don't they're not even getting beat by blocking. They're getting beat right. before it even happens. Like Oklahoma is just like you, you might as well have not had anybody there, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was I, I can I get why it was a heartbreaking loss and I get why it was a frustrating loss. I would just say on the other end of that, Texas had no business being in that game. Mm-hmm. And they finally have a coach on the sideline that is not always out schemed by Oklahoma. Like right. it is an even matchup now from sideline to sideline. Now you have to make it an even matchup on the offensive line and the defensive line. And as soon as that happens, it doesn't feel like water boy. You know, yeah. we're like one coach is over here just just shrinking because he sees <laughs> the other coach on the other side. Like Lincoln Riley did not run laps around Steve right. Sarkisian. And that is a good sign for Texas. And that's that's what you have to hang on here and just admit to yourself that our lines of scrimmage are not where they need to be to beat good teams. They're just not. And we'll see where that recruiting goes. But right now, things are looking better, right? They currently hold the number three uh, uh, class in the country for 2022. Of course, there are some big players to to kind of still decide. And so we'll see where that swings. But regardless, they're probably going to finish with a top eight, five, eight class in 2022. um, Because I don't see them bottoming out and losing out on a bunch of these guys. And so you know, the I get the the most you could say is maybe AM picks a couple, Alabama picks a couple, and you hold on to most of them. And I think that's a good starting point. And so you mentioned it. This is a it's 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 the start of something. And yes, it's heartbreaking because you kind of saw where this team was maybe turning a corner after Arkansas. They're still not there, and it's fine. I think I agree with you that Sark is the guy, and Sark is proving to be one of the best play callers in the country as well. So um, yeah, I don't know. Heartbreaking loss, but I mean, there's, it's just like one of those things where you just shrug and say, I mean, Oklahoma was favored or not favored, but they were being talked about as a playoff team for a reason before this year. And they might've turned the corner and gone back to getting that way. And hats off to them. Right. I mean, like a lot of teams. Caleb Williams is a dude, man. (laughs) And I've seen plenty of Texas teams down 28, seven at the end of the first quarter of that game just go and lose 66 to 13 or whatever. Like I've been there for it, you know? And so yeah. hats off to Oklahoma for staying in the fight. Hats off to Lincoln Riley for making that move in two consecutive red river games. That most coaches don't do that. And, yeah. uh, you know, so, and that, you know, it helps to have a five-star stud, you know, right. back, back there behind you. Um, but, you know, Spencer Rattler's a front runner. Like he just is. Mm-hmm. And the red river game is, is a place where you're going to take a few punches in the mouth. That's just, yeah. that was how that is. That is. And uh, he's not capable of doing it. I think anybody who watched him on Netflix before he got to Oklahoma knew that about him. Yeah, I like that clips uh, that that clips popping up again on uh, on social media. Um, anyway, speaking of taking counter punches and being able to withstand them, let's move on, man. UTSA 52, Western Kentucky 47. 
we said this game was going to be insane and I underestimated it because, oh my gosh, UTSA absolutely hung toe to toe with probably one of the a top five explosive offense in this country. And you look at their record, you're like Western Kentucky, they've only won one game. It didn't matter. They were favored in this game because of the, their schedule that they've played. And we said they have to be a bend, don't break. They're going to have to let them get their yards. They're going to have to let Bailey Zappi throw 400, 500 yards. And they're going to have to get one or two plays, one or two stops, one or two field goals, right? And that's exactly what happened. Bailey Zappi threw 60 times for 523. Didn't matter. They got a pick in the last drive to hold this game. They, I'm trying to look at the drive chart right here. Uh, so I'm looking at Western Kentucky's drive chart. So field goal, start the game, win. Touchdown, 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 fumble. Uh, they punted twice in the whole game. And then touchdown, touchdown, field goal, interception. That's the game, right? They drove down the field. They got their yards. UTSA's defense made the plays it needed to. Offensively, Frank Harris said, all right, I got this again. I got this again, right? Uh, Sincere McCormick played well. He had over 100 yards, but this was a Frank Harris game. We are going to let this guy throw. We know we're going to need to probably keep pace with this offense, and he's going to have to make some big plays of his own. Every moment, it looked like Western Kentucky was getting going, getting their drives together, getting touchdowns. Frank Harris had things coming back, and this was a fun one. If, if anybody can find a replay, I know Conference USA's weird deal with stadium has, has weird uh, uh, access to this game was not as good as it should have been. But if you can find a replay, whether it's on YouTube later or whatever, watch this game because this was a in this was an insane game. Two Texas quarterbacks, right? Frank Harrison, Bailey Zappi going toe to toe. And it just shows UTSA can win so many games in so many different ways. And I picked Western Kentucky. It looked like I was going to be right. And UTSA said, nah, we got this. It's okay. Shootout. Awesome. Let's go. <laughs> If Dave Campbell's gave out a most improved player in college football award, uh, I mean, I think Frank Harris would be the top pick for that. I mean, yeah. I, all, all last week we talked about like, hey, you don't have to match Zappy. You don't have to play that way. Just do what you're, the offense is supposed to do. Hand the ball off. Don't make the mistakes. Um, he didn't throw for as many yards, but he threw for six touchdowns compared to five. So, I mean, we're idiots, you know, like right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, declaring Clark had a huge game. He had like 160 mm -hmm. yards on seven catches, two straight games over hundred yards for him. So the tight end started to become a, a factor in that game as well. I mean, just what, what impresses me. And also the defense we talked about as well from the 25 to the 25, wasn't going to be that big of a deal. Western mm -hmm. Kentucky was going to get a lot of points. They're going to move the ball up and down the field. That's fine. You, what the list that you mentioned were a couple field goals in there and two turnovers in there. That's four stops plus the two punts. That's really six. Yep. And so you couldn't ask for much more than that. You still needed 52 points to win, uh, but you proved that you can. So now you know that you can win kind of low scoring defensive battles with the run game. You know, you can win high scoring, high octane uh, games as well. And you know, you can go on the road. I mean, Illinois win on the road, Memphis win on the road, Western Kentucky last night win on the road. So uh, this team believes in itself. This team believes in the so in, in the locker room, maybe as much as anybody in the state. Um, and again, Frank Harris just really put everybody uh, to bed last night with that performance. Like he's no longer 
somebody we really need to talk about as a potential weakness of mm-hmm. this offense or anything like that. He's a capable quarterback who's probably going to get all conference USA honors at some level and uh, has really helped UTSA stay undefeated a couple of times this year. 6-0 and for the first time in school history. Schedules manageable moving mm-hmm. forward. Um, so a lot of stuff out in front of the Roadrunners. And so far, nothing has seemed too big for this team. I'm, st- I'm waiting for like right. a moment to be too big for them. Right, right. Like, ah, you know, this was just too much, too fast. We're just not quite there yet. Hadn't happened. It hadn't happened yet, and it might not. Nope. Yeah. I mean, looking at this game, so total scrimmage plays, Western Kentucky 89, uh, UTSA 76, right? They were absolutely both going at it. And uh, for passing yards, uh, 376. 372 overall for UTSA as a team and then 523 for Western Kentucky. Like, I mean, watch uh, yards per play is the big one for me. So Western Kentucky uh, in the passing game, I mean, 8.8, eight and a half yards per, uh, per throw in the passing game, UTSA nine and a half, right. They were <laughs> they averaged an entire yard more. And of course, Western Kentucky is more of that, you know, they're okay with taking what's underneath them. But when UTSA had to stretch the ball, you know, they feel confident. Last year, I mentioned it. They did not feel confident in letting, and maybe that's, you know, them not having a spring and them not really knowing exactly where Frank Harris's comfort level was. But there were games where they did not let Frank Harris throw past the first time marker, right? And they're clearly that guy. And I think when when Frank Wilson brought him in, you know, he was, you were on that scene. You, you remember how how clear that he was that dude in that recruiting class in terms of like not even being the most talented or whatever but like he was the one that was like clearly the most excited to be there clearly the one that was like the leader of that group in terms of uh when he was still at Clemens being like oh I can't you know I can't wait to go to UTSA when he got on campus he was clearly that dude that if things again he might not have been the most talented or highly tied recruit but he was the guy's like if things were gonna work it was probably gonna be because of him and you saw the dynamic playmaking that he did at Clemens and he was like the most I think he was the most intriguing to me right regardless of sincere being the guy or whatever i think he was always the one that was like if utsa reaches a certain level it's gonna be because of what this kid can do and i think we're finally starting to get to that point with him and shout out the city of san antonio football right like you, you watch <laughs> yeah. that you watched that game yesterday and it's like san antonio kids san antonio kids san antonio kids san antonio kids and we talk all about houston and dallas and the amount of people that they produce football wise and we should those are mm-hmm. those are we talk about austin and some of the teams that win state championships down there like lake travis westlake cedar park san antonio kind of gets forgotten when we're talking about big cities there and there's never been a place even with utsa in their first 10 years there was never like this concentration of like legit San Antonio talent. Mm-hmm. Frank Harris, Sincere McCormick, Rashad Wisdom, that group really changed that perception. Now they got 30 something kids from San Antonio on that roster. They're all playing really well and it should open some eyes, you mm-hmm. know, outside of that city of, okay, maybe the talent isn't as concentrated into one certain team like it used to be at Judson or maybe even Cibolo Steel, sure. but there is talent littered across that city and you can win real football games with it. So I think that's some recognition that that city deserves that maybe not everybody gives it on, on a real level every all the time. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you mentioned Rashad Wisdom uh, led the team in tackles yesterday. Um, like you mentioned, when they when you play a team like that, you need somebody who blankets the field to make sure those five yard screens don't turn to twenty yard runs, and he was doing that. <clears throat> and again, 
I can't give it. You're going to look at the yards. People are going to look at the box score and say, oh, this defense or whatever. No, this defense played great. Western Kentucky is lighting up everybody, right? And you can tell Jeff Traylor was like, yes, let me, sure, five-yard screens. You're going to just give up these yards. It doesn't matter. But it's about the field goal, and it's about the turnover. And that's exactly what it became uh, for, for them to win this game. And so, I mean, Memphis is not looking like that great of a win as much anymore. I think this might be, to me, this is their best win of the year. Because Memphis is still a young team. I think they're still trying to figure out what's going on there. On the road, still a good win, solid win. But I think the fashion in which they won this game is a fashion they haven't had to win a game yet. Shootout, absolutely giving up uh, certain aspects of the game to and seeding that. And then an offense that was cooking and out out producing them. I think this is their best one of the year. Western Kentucky is the best one in four team in the country. <laughs> be, I, mean, they, I, mean, I mean, they lost to Army by three. They lost to Indiana by two. They hung in there with Michigan State. Now they lose to UTSA by six. Like that's a, yeah. that's a really good football team. I agree with you, especially with just how well they can play offensively. Right, I think that is the the best win uh, for UTSA on paper so far this year. Clearly, righty. Well. Uh. We did. We basically did a whole podcast full of like three games, which is insane. Um, there's been a lot to talk about already. It's nice for the state to be back there. Yeah, that's right? true. That's there's, true. Very there's true. There's been a couple of years where the state of Texas has just been down, you know, mm-hmm. at the P5 level and at the G5 level. And now we got UTSA, SMU, UTEP really playing well at the G5 level. A&M looks to be kind of back. Um, and so, you know, Texas is always just at least entertaining, you know, it's always a talking point or whatever. So it, it does. Yesterday was one of those where it was like, man, it feels good that the state of Texas is back in some important games playing well and kind of representing a state that we all consider to have really great high school football. It doesn't have that great of college football all the time. It's starting to kind of like show that a little bit more. And so that's nice. Oh yeah, definitely. All righty. Let's get back to power pole. At the bottom, Texas State. Overtime win. Oh, I got a doorbell ringing at my place. Um, 31-30, or 33-31 in four overtime wins, uh, four overtimes over South Alabama. I forgot about the new overtime rules, so this actually threw me for a loop when it was like trading one shot for one shot when it got past the first overtime. It was a nice, it was a nice uh, change of pace. I actually think I like it. There's a it's not as 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 frustrating as like pks and soccer but there is like a pk element to it where it's just like you get one play right back and forth you hate it i love oh i love it i love it because like we're basically to me so so to me the old college overtime i already don't like it Uh, long story short i'll just say that i already don't like it i think the nfl with a tweak could be the better overtime rule just have them play another quarter right to me um I just don't like the the first touchdown wins or whatever scenario of it. But college football has already acknowledged that they don't want to play another quarter, right? They've already said, we're going to cut the field basically 80% and we're going to play on this half. And so I'm like, okay, if that's the rule, just, just let them have one play. Just like, you know, basically you're asking them just to keep scoring touchdowns. And so just cut out that and just have it be – and if uh, football's version of a penalty shootout, sure, whatever. Because if you're not going to make this another entire quarter, might as well go this way. Anyway, regardless, um, that caught me off guard when I got past the first overtime. I was like, oh, right, this is a thing now. And so it was just like them trading one play for one play. And uh, Texas Day came out. And I mean, 
if they, if they lost this game, this thing was simple. Don't turn the ball over when you get in scoring position. Cause this was it. Like Brady McBride had three turnovers, three interceptions. Um, and basically spotted USA uh, 14 points. And that was the game because Texas State looked like the better team. And for the most part, were the better team. And they spotted them turnovers. And credit to Texas State, credit to Jake Spavadol, who stuck with Brady McBride after three interceptions in the first half. Um, or it might have had two in the first half. I couldn't remember exactly. But stuck with him, changed the game plan up a bit, decided to go completely in the run. And it almost abandoned the pass entirely, almost 50 carries as a team. And they end up scrapping out a win against the South Alabama team that was pretty solid. Jake Bentley. I forgot Jake Bentley was the quarterback for South Alabama, former South Carolina quarterback. So, um, again, this is a pretty solid South Alabama team. This game's always weird, I've noticed, even going back to covering uh, Texas State. But regardless, I think a solid win and a win that they desperately needed. Yeah, I mean, they had to have it. First of all, you get Texas State in overtime and watch out. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. 2-0, and 2-0 oh, oh in overtime. They're only two wins, you know. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I feel I felt like it was important. Spavadol was going to lose that locker room completely if they lose this game. Mm. I mean, it, it was just going to spiral out of control. It was going to be a bad year. It was going to be – it was going to get ugly after mm-hmm. you lose this game. Now you win this game, and now you got stuff to play for again. Yes. And, you know, you keep college kids engaged by having stuff to play for. And uh, to that, to me, what was most impressive was the bounce back after halftime. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. you get outscored seventeen to nothing in the second quarter, and honestly, in my mind, it was like, well, now I can just pay attention to UTSA and A and M because right. Texas State doesn't have the fortitude to kind of the grit to bounce back from that to handle that adversity and come back. You look back down, it's like, oh man, this is about to go into overtime, you know. And so, <laughs> uh, good on them, you know, kind of like what we were talking about with Oklahoma earlier. Good on them for staying the course, not panicking or folding or throwing in the towel when things aren't going well in the first half. And we talked about it all week long. This was going to be the game that kind of defined the future of Texas State's 2021 season. If they lost this, the wheels were going to fall off. We thought everything's going to get even worse. They win this one. Six wins is still out there. Mm -hmm. It's it's a hard path. It's not an easy path, right? This is a team that lost to Incarnate Word, so maybe – we shouldn't like, you know, start giving them W's or whatever. The sure. six wins isn't off the table. They can they can salvage this season and accomplish some things that many of us didn't think they could. So for me, the biggest test for Texas State, and we've talked about it with UTEP, can you carry success into a next week? Can you practice well after a win? Can you play well after a win? Can you do the things you're supposed to do when people are patting you on the back? We'll find that out about Texas State next week. Yep. A uh, team that they will probably swap with uh, in the power pole, North Texas. Um, they covered. <laughs> That's a bad, I mean, that it was the most backdoor of backdoor covers, 21 points in the fourth quarter. This game was not close, like as much as the final score indicates. Missouri had this game, uh, final score 48-35. Missouri had this game. They just, it was, a, it was, like I said, fourth quarter, garbage time. I mean, I don't know what we expected from North Texas in this game. This is one of those games, you know, you mentioned it, SEC schedules these games to get a nice little padding in there between the SEC schedule. You know, North Texas got pushed around. They showed some fight in the fourth quarter, which cool, you know, they didn't lay down. That's great. But, you know, I didn't expect them to win. And, you know, eh, I don't know. It was too, but we, you know, Missouri wasn't good, but uh, they haven't been good this season, but neither is North Texas. And you would expect – a better team to take advantage of that but when you have two bad teams i don't know you just kind of lot you just kind of fall back on sec versus conference usa you know that's what it was 
Yeah, I mean, it was 41-14 in the fourth quarter. Right. You know, like, it's not – I think people will see the box score without watching the game and be like, man, North Texas kind of stayed with Missouri. They didn't. You know, like, their, their, their starters did well against Missouri's backups in the last 12 minutes of the game or whatever. Right. I do think if you're going to point to one good thing coming out of this game, I think Austin Ane is the guy. Mm-hmm. I think that's clear that he's the guy and North Texas is need to just pick one and go with them. And so yeah. hopefully this will be kind of the start of that where like, you don't have to answer, you shouldn't have to answer the question every single week of who's your, you shouldn't have to announce a starter. We're in week six about to go into week right. seven. You should just have a starter. And I think they finally at least have that. Maybe it'll help them be a little bit more, more consistent during conference play. And then the other thing that it showed me yesterday is that this is a running football team. This team mm-hmm. better at running the football than they are at anything else. Run the football. And I, I know that kind of goes against what Seth Luttrell maybe wants to do, mm-hmm. but good coaches use what they have, not what they want. Yeah. And this team is constructed to run the ball 30, 40 times a game, use play action pass, put as little on on a as possible, and then hopefully you scrap some stuff together defensively. That's that's just what it is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't know if you draw too much from the SEC Conference USA battle. Right. Uh, shout out to uh, Matthew Bruni on Twitter, my guy who hosts uh, Texas 24 with me. He went back because he covers LSU, and so he went back and watched the game last night. <laughs> he posted one of the funniest gifts on third and nine. Uh, they called a... <laughs> Uh, Austin Ani power. <laughs> it was like, ah, oh, sure, of course. That's what you call him third and nine. And he got like four yards. You know, <laughs> of course he did. Like, made fourth down manageable. <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, God, that was one of the funniest things I saw last night because I missed that. I must have missed that play call. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Rice was off. You know, uh, they probably had fun watching a bunch of football like we did this past weekend. Uh, moving up, number nine, TCU, 52-31 over Tech. Let's stick with TCU. We'll get to the Red Raiders in a bit. Uh, go ahead, Mike Craven. I, well, if we're, we're, the, the schedule you just put out there kind of interrupts us, but I just wanted to say my name is Mike Craven, and I was wrong about the Texas Tech Red Raiders. You know, they are. They, they are, right? I mean, um, the two times they've played teams with any type of running game at all, they have just, they've just been dominated. And so uh, there has not been much improvement in that front seven with Texas Tech. And nope. kind of like we were talking about with the offensive line, defensive line in Texas, there's just nothing else to talk about, right? They're just not good up front. And if you're mm-hmm. not good up front, what are you going to do? Uh, on the TCU side, they gave Zach Evans 16 carries in the first half. They played really well. Yeah. They were just like it was Gary Patterson's like fine you want carry you want carry right. here's a carry and we talked about that we were like is Gary just gonna be like you know what sure if y'all think Zach Evans can run the ball thirty something times I'm gonna give it to him yeah. you know that you know and he was on pace for it right uh, you know uh, but yeah you look at the box score and you know at halftime Duggan had I think had eight passing attempts and Evans had sixteen rushes on his own right perfect yeah. perfect that's what this TCU team uh, needs to be. Defensively, there's some question marks still, but Texas mm-hmm. Tech tends to put up points on everybody. You know, they, they score a lot of points. Um, so I, I thought it was a great win for TCU. It was a much-needed win for TCU. I mean, they had mm-hmm. lost to SMU. They had lost to Texas. If you lose to Texas Tech, it's like, where are you headed? You know, where where is the program trajectory at that moment? You beat Texas Tech, and now you can say, look, SMU's a pretty good football team this year. Mm-hmm. You know, Don Robinson just kind of out, outmanned them in the, in the Texas game. Um, so uh, a good win for TCU, uh, an important win for Gary Patterson, and I think one that can maybe 
calm the waters in forward yeah. a little bit, kind of get everything kind of back to where it was. And uh, you can just go out and concentrate on, on getting to seven, eight wins this year. I think I, you know, I mentioned that I didn't think TC was as bad as they were against Texas. Right. I think that there was, it was a lot of defensively. They're bad. Yes. I think they're not great defensively, but I think offensively they're too good to let what happened to really write them off, I think. And you know, we talk about Zach Evans, but Kendra Miller had a great game, right? He He's proven to be that explosive spell back to Zach Evans and, you know, 33 yards, 54 yards and 75 yard touchdown runs for, for Kendra Miller. And I think that it's weird to me that like Gary's insisting on this balance now, because like, I feel like Gary of not 10 years ago, because that was kind of when he was starting the air raid, but like even before the, I guess like uh Rose Bowl, Andy Dalton era, Gary, he would have tried to, if he had two great running backs, he gets 40, they get 40 carries total, right? And so seeing them with with potentially two really good, definitely one insanely talented running back and one other really good running back, it's weird to see, it was weird to see them not go to them a lot. And so, you know, they combine for over 30 carries in this game and they just control everything. They absolutely control the clock. They absolutely just like manhandle a defense that I, that we looked pretty good for, for most of the season, aside from the Texas game. And now this game for tech. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Like I, I was, I, I wasn't shocked to see TC win this game, but I was definitely shocked to see the way they just punish tech and just put like put this to bed like no 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 we're not everybody calm down right it was like this was like a calm down game i think we still have some at least me i still have some questions about the overall direction of you know tcu under gary patterson in terms of like years from now and where this goes but for right now i think this is too good of a team to just ride off and i think they proved that they were uh, too good of a team there's still something there i don't know it's probably not a dark horse big 12 team like we thought but this is the team that I think could still eke out eight wins. So we'll see, you know, seven, eight wins. We'll see, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they averaged eight and a half yards per rush, um, you know, ran the ball 47 times, you know, only threw it 10. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if we'll see that type of sway again, but I think like, you know, again, 20, 20, 25 passes around there in terms of like get in terms of like the maximum amount for Duggan. That's what I would want. Right. But so. it felt like the first game where they called the game for, who is on their roster and what they do well, rather than what they would like to look like in modern football. It's like they were trying for years, they've been trying to modernize themselves into a real kind of big 12 school. And um, Duggan's just not that guy, you know, the Mm -hmm. the fewer times he throws the ball, the better off that team is um, for a lot of reasons. Cause it means the running game is working um, and it's less times for him to make a weird mistake. So yeah. Just you hope Zach stayed healthy. You know, he didn't mm-hmm. get a carry after halftime, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, so you hope he's healthy enough going into the next week. Cause if he is, you got two guys to where you could legitimately give them about 40 carries combined. Yeah. Um, you know, mix in four or five for Duggan, four or five for someone else. Now all of a sudden you're at 50 carries a game, and that's where the horn frogs need to be. Cause not only does it take pressure off Max Duggan, it takes pressure off the defense that we've talked about not being kind of up to par with what we think of a Gary Patterson defense. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the defense there at the last minute. We'll talk more about Tech's offense probably in that regard because we can harp on TCU's defense being pretty bad, but um, I'll use that to harp on what we can about what Texas Tech did well on offense because, you know, if we mention it, it's not a good defense this year. So uh, moving on to, we mentioned AM already. Uh, they're definitely moving up in that power pole, beating, a, uh, beating Alabama. I, I lit a fire under him. You know, I dropped yeah, him. He I dropped, dropped him. him. 
I dropped him below UTEP, and Jimbo Fisher was like, "What? Is there a there's a football team in El Paso that they think is better than ours? Absolutely right. not." So you're welcome. Yeah. So, uh, but let's be honest here. That is five and one UTEP. Moving on Man. to the minors, 26-13 at Southern Miss. Uh, this defense just like <laughs> gave them no chance. Uh, by them, I mean Southern Miss. They absolutely sat on this game. It was like, yep, yep, this is fine. We're not going to worry about this at all. Not a great game from Gavin Hardison. Didn't need to be great. Um, they ran the ball really well with Ronald A. Watt. And the defense just gave them, like I mentioned, I mean, three sacks, one pick on Jake Lange, like that was it. Like they had no, they couldn't run the ball at all. Uh, I think Frank Gore Jr. had 16 carries for under 50 yards. Like this was a great uh, suffocating win for UTEP. So. And it was what they needed to do, right? Like yeah. uh, it's seven, seven after the first quarter. And it's like, well, you know, we mm-hmm. talked about this, you know, it's right. one thing to win at home a couple of times. Now you got to travel. Now you got to play somewhere else. You're Another favorite up. game. Right. Your favorite again. People are patting you on the back, talking about bowl games and all this kind of uh, kind of stuff. How well will you handle this? Well, seven, seven after the first quarter. And it's like, okay, will mm-hmm. this be a football game? Is this going to be one of those where UTEP's going to have to really, and then nope. Yeah. You know, they're just a, the better football team and they, and they proved it five and one and, that's just amazing to me. Like it, it's just, it's amazing to me the turnaround for UTEP, the fact that they're a football team that people need to like really pay attention to. You know, you you look on their schedule, right? Like UTSA wasn't thinking about the UTEP game. I mean, I, right. I know the players and the coaches are right because you sure. got to think about every single game as they come up. But you circle that and you're like, oh, okay, that that's one win or whatever. Well, is it? You know, the UTEP team's pretty good. So all year we've been like just reach six wins. You know, like. You got to beat this Southern Miss team, and then you get Rice November 20th. You just got to reach six wins. I don't know if six wins is the set up, buddy. Yeah. I'm taking UTEP over North Texas straight up if it happens next week in a, mm-hmm. you know, at a neutral location, for example, or whatever. Right. Rice is a bit of a beatable team. Who knows if they can pull an upset here or there? Uh, AWOT having a big game, I think, was important, you mm-hmm. know, because. Uh, it shows that they have a couple running backs that they can really rely on. They can ride the right, the hot hand. The offensive line is playing really well. And then, like you said, that defense is just, they just terrorized Southern Miss. And Southern Miss isn't a good football team. We need to, right. Southern Miss is a bad football team. Uh, but to see UTEP run around like that, mm-hmm. they haven't had dudes that can do that yeah. over the last five or 10 years. Like there's some guys on that football team that you're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. They did a good job. And I think we're starting to see the formula that works at UTEP. You do, uh, enough kind of under the radar recruiting as possible. Keep a couple kids in El Paso if you can. And then you just Kansas State that transfer market. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that you can kind of see a little mini Kansas State kind of feel. And you kind of see what the idea, the idea behind the Dana right. Demo hire. Yeah. You can see, you can see the roadmap. Yeah. Right. You don't, you don't know exactly where it's going to end. And there's going to be some bumps along the road. It's still El Paso. It's hard to get a lot of guys out there but you can see where it's going and how it's supposed to get there. And I like it. I like, I like the ideas behind it. And I like the way that he's recruiting, putting the team together, building a strong defensive line. And he's got some athletes out there. The wide receivers are good. Running backs are good. Secondary is pretty decent. So um, if they can keep kind of building depth to kind of catch up to that next group of conference USA teams, all of a sudden, you know, that's going to be a hard place to play because nobody wants to go to El Paso. That's right. a long ass trip to nowhere. 
mm-hmm. right? So like it's a random can, random uh, uh, time change too. You're just like, wait, right. it's different. So, it's in Texas. What we're right. they're, usually playing, they're usually playing at like eight nine o'clock at night. <laughs> right. and stuff like that. So you know, the Sun Bowl can be a really cool place. It can yeah. it can get loud. You know, it, it can be an atmosphere. So um, I don't know. Maybe we're you know they have beaten some pretty bad teams. So mm-hmm. this could be some kind of false goods type situation here. But like I said, it feels nice when you can look at a program and know what it's trying to do. And it feels like we know what they're trying to do under Coach Dibble, and that is a big step forward for that program. I think now, I mean, you mentioned it with the the schedule. You know, now becomes gut check time, right? Because you get Louisiana Tech, you get them at home, but you also get FAU and UTSA. Three, though, if they're five and four, Right after this stretch, it's not out of the question, but like you don't, you know, you hope that it doesn't start to, to rock the boat a little bit, right? Because I think if they can get through La Tech and FAU, we'll see what happens in those games. That UTSA game in the Sun Bowl is going to be a lot of fun because I know UTSA is going to travel, they're going to want to travel to El Paso. And of course, a lot of people from Texas who went to UTEP are going to want to come see them play, possibly beat and compete against their friends from UTSA. And so that game could potentially be really good. But again, there's also the possibility that they drop those three games, right? You just kind of hope that if they don't, that the, 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 the ship just stays steady enough because you get North Texas, you get Rice, and then you, of course, you get UAB, which is going to be a tough game. But this is gut check time for UTEP. You're on the verge of bowl eligibility. Can you hold on to either pull an upset in one of these next three games or steady the ship enough to where if you do drop three, you still have enough to beat North Texas. You still have enough to beat Rice. You keep the goal in mind because you mentioned it. They haven't beaten bad teams in the past. They've lost to bad teams in the past. And so now they got that part right. Now, okay, now here comes the meaty part of your schedule, right? Now let's see what you got because – they have something here. They have a defensive identity. They have a, an ability to run the ball, and they have a quarterback who can make big plays to talented wide receivers when they need to. That's enough. That's enough to catch a good team off guard. And so let's see what happens in the next couple of weeks. I'm, I'm definitely intrigued to see where UTEP goes from here. All right, moving on. Uh, number six, Houston, 40, Tulane, 22. Solid win overall. I admit I did not catch much of this game. I kept my eye on it to make sure it didn't get out of hand. But Clayton Toon. Uh, 20, 23 of 36, 288 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Again, we talk about the hamstring. We talk about doing all that stuff. But Alton McCas- when you have Alton McCaskill there who can take a little bit of the pressure off, you don't need 100% ready to go Clayton Tune. But with that being said, he looks pretty okay. I, you know, it will still be a concern. We'll still have that concern lingering in the back of our minds with his health and his hamstring. But so far, so good with, since he's picked up that injury. Yeah, I still don't know if I – feel like houston's fool's gold or not that texas that texas tech game still kind of sticks out and you look at it you know they beat rice they beat grambling they beat a navy team we'll talk about here in a little bit against Mm -hmm. smu Uh, they beat tulsa who's not very good they beat tulane who's had one win so you know while they are on a winning streak and doing what they're supposed to do i don't know how good these teams are that they're beating Uh, i do like their offensive line though because mm-hmm. I, I feel like these last couple of weeks, they've been able to keep, a, you know, maybe a 60, 70 percent healthy Clayton tune uh, to not have to run the ball. He hasn't had to scramble around and really mm-hmm. figure out how well that hamstring is. The running game's doing doing enough. You know, I think they have a future star in Ms. McCaskill. But that defense, my goodness, I think they had eight sacks in, that, like that. in, in the win on, on Thursday night. Yeah. 
Um, there was just no chance for Tulane to do anything offensively. They beat him up. Bel Coach Belk there, the defensive coordinator, doing a tremendous job. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. The, the schedule is going to get a little bit tougher. They're going to have to play some of the better teams in the American Conference soon. Uh, but they're taking care of what they're supposed to take care of. And they played a really good game on Thursday. And those, those midweek games can get weird. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about it. You play Friday the week before. You play Thursday um, this week. What does that do to your practice schedule? You know, I don't know if there's anybody that are more creatures of habit than athletes. Mm -hmm. And so that's all thrown off now. You play on a short week, midweek, and you show up and you just dominate. You just put it to bed early. There was no – you didn't have to hang around and watch that game. I mean, I did because it's my job or whatever, but you don't have to hang around and watch that game, you could just turn that off and know Houston won that, that football game. And that's what you're supposed to do when you're favored. You know, they were only favored by six points, by the way, and they crushed that team. They were underdogs the week before, and they crushed that team. So I think Dana Holgerson has something going, and the thing he has going the most is an improved defense, a really good football player at running back, and then I think Clayton Toon's just a gamer. He's yeah. a, I think he's just a guy – you put on pads, you put out there, and he's going to figure it out. Even if he's hurting afterwards or if he's hurting beforehand, he's going to figure it out. And so, uh, yeah, some good signs from Houston. I'm just not sure how excited to get until they beat somebody uh, of real significance or equal talent. They haven't sure. beaten anybody yet who mm -hmm. is as talented as them. I'd like to do them once. I'd like yeah. to see that done once. Yeah, I think Clayton Toon had the, has the, had the unfortunate uh, path of coming after you know a string of great quarterbacks right greg ward derrick king even going back to to some of the guys before him um with the air raid and you know he's not those guys right he's not the guy that's gonna light up the scoreboard but you can win with him you he's a quarterback you can absolutely win with and i think that of course with dana holgerson coming in we're used to seeing will greer and geno smith and these other guys who light up and so it's like okay well where's that guy it's like okay well not everybody has to be that guy to still be a good enough quarterback to win. And when you have a defense, I mean, you mentioned it, eight sacks, uh, two forced fumbles. I'm looking at this right now. So they're stop. Uh, they have this, there's a stat I like to reference when it comes to good defense, when it calls, it's called stop rate. I think it's from the athletic and it's basically drives that end without uh, ending a punt basically. And just stopping a drive. It's, they were 70%, 77% versus Tulane with stop rates. They just shut drives down and they had 12 tackles for loss I mean, it, when you have a defense that's flying around like that, and when you recruit the Houston area and you have players like Houston has, that's you have athletes, you have dudes who can fly around specifically defensively. And I think that when they let go of uh, of Tony Levine and brought in Tom Herman, that kind of reinvigorated that. Even with uh, Major Applewhite uh, for that, you know, it didn't work out. But that 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 Tom Herman era on kind of reinvigorated that like oh Houston's gonna have athletes type of recruiting and it's kind of still carried over and again Dana Holgerson hasn't recruited exactly the way I wanted him to but he, the, the team he has still currently still is just a talented bunch of guys that you're not gonna have a drop off in this type of talent you're gonna have a defense that's able to play up a certain level and he knows that the offense is just gonna have to play a certain brand that just doesn't lose them games so. Well, and you would think that talent only increases as they get into the Big 12 and can keep some of yeah. those Houston kids in town that like kind of want to play for a quote unquote power five school or, right. you know, however that settles out, that'll help. And then they don't have UCF and they don't have Cincinnati on their regular season schedule. So, uh, you know, you get through that SMU game and 
you know, things get pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. I think a fun conversation to have, and we don't have time to do it here, but uh, what would be the line of that Texas Tech Houston game if they played it again next? <laughs> yeah, that's a fun one. So, um, I think the the trajectories of both of those teams right now are opposite of what they were leaving week one. And, and to me, again, that goes back to like, what does the locker room believe in the coaching staff and the culture and kind of the direction of the program? Houston, you can tell, has some building blocks and are going in the right direction. And uh, I think if Holgerson kind of really leans into that Houston market as they go into the Big 12, that team only gets better and better. Yeah. All right. Speaking of that team, uh, Texas Tech, my goodness. Uh, of course, we mentioned lost to TCU 52-31. So, I mean, so one uh, positive, you know, Tech's offense without Tyler Shuck looks okay, right? So Ryder Thompson's back and healthy, running the ball pretty well. Henry Columbia, I mentioned him, capable backup. Um, Kaylin Geiger is really setting in, of uh, coming in from Troy's looking to be their kind of their new dynamic playmaker. You just can't stop anybody. And that's a problem. We, we were impressed with this tech defense and then it's just, I don't know if Texas broke them or what, but they've just fallen off a cliff. Yeah. They're not very good. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, not only are they not very good, they're not very deep. So the, the, yeah. the couple of talented guys that they do have, you just can't ask them to play as many. I mean, that, like you just can't, you can't play 80 snaps a game. Everybody yeah. has to like have rotations and stuff like that. And you can just see tech get beat down and beat down and beat down. And uh, you would think three recruiting cycles in, I think it's three, maybe two and a half recruiting cycles in um, but you should, especially with the transfer market and what you can do there. Uh, it should be better. You shouldn't yeah. be allowing eight point eight point whatever yards per game it needs to get better it has to get better um and yeah i you look at the schedule right now right and you're like four and two bowl games a cinch right they're gonna play kansas next week so they're, they're gonna be five and two you look at what's remaining after that though mm-hmm. the, only, the only winnable game really is kansas state i mean they're all winnable everything sure. can happen but like the only one where you're like yeah I got, I got a good feeling about tech winning this one is the week after kansas against kansas state if they don't lose that, if they don't win that, you're looking at Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor. Um, it's going to be hard to get that sixth win if they don't figure it out against the Kansas teams over the next couple of weeks. And if they don't make a bowl game, it, it feels like it's curtains. Yeah, if they don't make a bowl. I mean, I'll say it right now. If they don't make a bowl game, he's gone. Like, this is, you know, this was his makeup year, right? Every coach gets that year to scrap staff members and to bring in guys and you know everybody mac brown got that how that's what happened to mac brown right he had one year to do that didn't work all right you're gone right if it can happen to mac you. Brown, right exactly yeah, exactly no exactly right. if it, it can happen to mac brown then it can happen to you because at that point it's like oh, you changed it didn't work hey we got to make another change and so um yeah no if they don't make a bowl game it's flat out he's gone uh i mentioned the stop rate with uh houston earlier 23 percent for tech in this game they could not get off the field it was horrible oh i mentioned i mean i mentioned how easily tc ran the ball um and you know again we can talk about how solid tech's defense looked at times this year and you know i'll take a mulligan on that right the two good offenses they've played tcu and texas they get annihilated by right uh west virginia was not a good offense and it turns out west virginia is not good at football (laughs) right exactly so i'll go ahead and say yep we got that wrong because the both in houston you know first game of the year we'll say you mentioned it with the line that game probably turns out very differently but first two times they come up against a good offense they just get steamrolled so i mean this defense is back to not being very good so they uh, haven't allowed fewer than 20 points yet this year and that's with Stephen f austin and fiu on the schedule like yeah they're just 
It's just not very good. Yep, yep, yep. So, yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on how that goes because it's getting back to being uh, uh, rocky times in, in Lubbock. Uh, moving on to number four, Baylor. 45-20 uh, over West Virginia. Uh, we mentioned West Virginia's offense not being very good, so, of course, didn't surprise me that Baylor was able to shut them down. But I think I'm willing to chalk up that Baylor uh, shaky offense to just being against a good Oklahoma State defense because – they seem to be pretty good to being back. I mean, Gary Bahannon's back to being solid. The running game was didn't need to really be there. I mean, he was Abram Smith had a decent game, but they didn't really need to lean on him that much. But I don't know. I think this offense is actually pretty good, and I think last week was just kind of a little hiccup. Yeah, I think the the thing that's really nice is there. There's you, you know, RJ Sneeded had a couple big games, and it's like who's who's going to be that other wide receiver? Who yeah. who can be somebody to take some pressure? Because you're getting one on one matchups. Everybody's loading the box so much. If you're going to double, it's usually Sneed because of his speed on on the other side there. So mm-hmm. who's going to be that other guy who wins one on one matchups? And you know, Taquan Thornton mm-hmm. had a monster game, an absolute from the from the first. touchdown there so uh, Gary Bohannon with a big game he was efficient he didn't make a lot of mistakes and that's just what you want from this team the offensive line looked really good uh, but again this West Virginia team's not very good so it was a it was a good bounce back game to have it was an impressive performance you did everything that you're supposed to do I'm just not sure beating this current West Virginia team is going to earn you too many points now there are games remaining on the schedule yeah, I was where they say and they control their own destiny. They've already beaten Iowa State. Oklahoma State was a loss, but you can handle one loss in the Big 12, especially on the road against a team that's pretty good, at least pretty good defensively. Mm-hmm. So you got the games in front of you that you need to win. It's not a high, good – you know, it's not a great Oklahoma team. Maybe they get better with Caleb Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not a great Oklahoma team. It's clearly a, a beatable Texas team, especially with that offensive line. You'd think they have some success against Texas. So all of a sudden you look at Baylor and you're like, hey – you know, they got a chance mm-hmm. to really make some waves and, and make a run at the Big 12 championship game in year two under David Aranda. And that's an impressive job, just like in year two under Matt Rule when they made that huge jump. It's an impressive job. It's an impressive win by Baylor. Now they just need to do it against teams that are as good as them. Yeah. I mean, next week they get uh, BYU and Jeff Grimes, you know, has to go against his old team. Eric Mateos, offensive line coach, has to go against his former team. But have we come up with a nickname for that game yet? I mean, because they're going to be in the Big 12 together, and I, I, I feel like we're going to – we shouldn't spitball it here live on air, uh, but we're going to have to come up with a nickname or, or something for that game on a yearly basis because yeah. uh, it's an interesting mix of people. Yeah, I'll just leave it there. That'd be a good <laughs> – we'll talk off air, uh, but that is going to be an interesting one. But uh, I'll be at I mean, that one. That's where I'm going. Oh, really? I'll okay. Be, that is, that's going to be – Baylor BYU this week. Nice. That's going to be, I mean, that's, it's, it's like we mentioned gut check time for UTEP. This is going to be a gut check game for Baylor because this is, you know, you get BYU, then you get Texas, and you get Oklahoma, like it's, it's, or TCU and then Oklahoma, which, you know, for, uh, you, if, the way the wind blows, 4 and 0, 0 and 4 could, like, <laughs> it's just, they're just as possible. So, like, um, it, it's definitely going to be a, a telling time to see really what Baylor is because, I think the Iowa State win's still pretty good. I think the Oklahoma State loss to me is understandable. Again, I think those are really two good defenses. And now, okay, let's see what you kind of are. Is it somewhere in the middle? Possibly. Are you on the other end of the spectrum where you're more great than average? Maybe. We'll see. So I think this My is guess is in the middle. 
Sure, like, sure. My, my guess is in the middle. I don't know if they're – I mean, I don't know what Iowa State really is. So I don't right. know yeah, how made of a win that really – you know. But uh, I, I think they're a second-tier Big 12 team with mm-hmm. the pieces to beat those top-tier teams. They yeah. have a couple units on their team to where they can they can win some battles and upset some teams. So I think Baylor's a dangerous team that you don't want to play. You never yeah. want to play a team with a good offensive line. They're clearly well-coached. Yeah, they're well-coached. They play good defense. So uh, Jayla Creechy, by the way, Oof. is a freaking man. Like mm-hmm. you could put a camera on him and let me watch for 60 minutes. Like that dude is everywhere. Yeah, definitely. Alrighty, moving on in the power poll. Mentioned Texas. Um, you know, eh, it happens. Uh, then you got SMU at number two. 31 24 over navy look i don't know what's up with navy just playing poorly and then coming up against the texas team and like deciding to be navy again because it was one of those games where i had it on like i was side-eyeing it i had it in the corner of my eye making sure things were going okay and luckily things never got out of hand but you a little bit right Uh, of course navy's defense couldn't really stop much but SMU couldn't get Navy off the field. <laughs> it, was, it was one of those traditional triple option flex where we're just like, just, just, just stop them. It's third and three, stop first down. You know, like it's, it's fourth and one, stop first down. Like it was just like, just come up with a stop and they just kept churning. And it's like, I don't know what, I don't know what it is with, with Navy not being great. And then just coming up against Houston, coming up against SMU and just deciding to be, scare them a little bit. <laughs> Well, they score a defensive touchdown. They're up 21-7. And it's like, ooh, mm-hmm. okay, this, mm-hmm. this, this was the trap game for SMU. Because yes. you look at that SMU defense, and there's a lot of kids who uh, played some major high school football who probably haven't seen the triple option. Maybe right. middle school right. maybe ever, you know? Maybe like, like one non-district game. <laughs> right. I was kind of looking at, like, the linebackers and the safeties and going, oh, no, they don't. They don't, they don't play anybody <laughs> with a triple option. Oh, no, they don't play anybody with a triple option. They don't you see know? that like, at DeSoto. or <laughs> my neck of the woods where, like, you grow up playing the triple option as much as you do anything else. Like, I don't right. mean uh, – so, anyway – I knew it was going to be one of those weird, annoying games for the defense. They get up 21-7. They're able to come back. But what Navy does to you is absurd because, they I mean, they had one drive in the third quarter. SMU had one real drive (laughs) in the third quarter. It's just like, God, this has to be the most annoying team on your schedule. It's not the best team on your schedule, but it's just one of those where you win, you put it in the rearview mirror, and you move on. SMU doesn't need style points. They're going to play Cincinnati. They're going to play Houston. They're going to have plenty of opportunities to get the wins that will solidify them as like a legit undefeated team if they're able to pull those off. So against Navy, it was just win and survive. Uh, Ulysses Bentley still doesn't seem to be at all healthy. He was dressed out, but he didn't really get it in the game at all. So um, it, it comes down to him and kind of getting healthy. And then it's, you don't, it's, I would try to try to talk about the defense, but none of the things we would talk about would ever matter. I was about to say, this is not matter. So they won, they're undefeated. They control their own destiny. Good yeah. teams in front of them that they can really kind of have bounce back performances with. I think if you true serum Sonny Dykes, he would have taken a one point win, get out of there and go home and just figure it out from there. Yeah, I think I think the diff- the the reason why you know this isn't quite the Navy teams that we're used to is when you spot a Navy team that kind of score. Like that, it, you just enter the grind zone and you're just like, they just hold on to that lead and it's just frustrating. And they, you know, they couldn't hold on to the lead because they're not as one of the, as good as those teams. So they get spotted that score and SMU is still right there. Um, if you want to look at the, the frustrations in this game, uh, the tackles for loss generated. So of course, 
you know, it's all about getting them behind the chains, right? Getting uh, these type of teams to not get in third and short, not get in fourth and one, fourth and two to where they can keep churning. They only had four tackles for loss in the entire game, <laughs> SMU did. And when you're facing a triple option, who's more than more than happy to take two and three yards, like you need to get those one no gain tackles for loss. And they just weren't 50 carries out of 50 carries. They only got four tackles for loss on rushing plays. That's, I mean, again, you mentioned it, frustrating, frustrating, frustrating. So you mentioned it, can't really take much anything else. You can't say, ah, they gave up this many yards in the rush game. That's a problem. No, it's not. They're not going to face the triple option again. Like, who cares? Like, it does not matter. So they, they go, gotta, man, the linebacker's not reading their key correctly. You know, it's like, well, they'll right. never have that key again, you know, right. like, until 2022. So, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, it's fine. So like I meant, uh, Houston SMU got one more game before a very intriguing game on Halloween weekend. Uh, where they'll face off in Houston. SMU has a two-lane coming up. Um, you know, should be able to take care of business. We'll talk more about that uh, in the Wednesday show. Uh, and then number one, probably stand number one, UTSA. I mean, there's no reason. Uh, I haven't checked the AP poll as if it's out yet, but hashtag rank UTSA because I don't know what else you want. Um, oh, actually, it did come out about an hour ago, so let me see if this will load. Do we have a ranked UTSA, we do not. Okay, cool. That's great. Uh, they're receiving 30 votes. So they're like one, two, three, four, five. They're 30th technically. So I don't know what else they got to do, man. I, I don't know. This is weird, but eh, we'll get there eventually. Hopefully, fingers crossed. It hurts my heart. <laughs> I want to see a ranked UTSA. They better. I swear to God, you can't count on these seasons happening all the time. I was about to say, no. I'm a realistic. I'm a realistic UTSA grad. I know the better Jeff Trailer in this program does, the quicker Jeff Trailer's gone, and there's not a guarantee that the next coach is as successful, and there's not a guarantee that the next group of players are are as successful. And so, uh, yeah, you got to get it while you can. And for a program that's still trying to like get their first of everything, you know, like it's like, and if this team can't get ranked what team at UTSA can, because this is as good as I can imagine it gets in a little while. Right. Because, well, also, like, I'm looking at the schedule, and it's like, okay, you got Rice coming up. Are they going to rank him after beating Rice? Probably not. And then you got La Tech, and it's like, okay, well, maybe. But then at that point, it's like, I mean, they could they could lose that game, too. And so it's like, oh, there it goes. You know, so it's just like, just give them one week, and then we'll see. Like, I don't know. I hope, my heart hopes that 7-0, and even, even if it's Rice, 7-0 and just gets them ranked, and then we'll see what happens against La Tech. I don't know, probably not just because team they'll just look at Rice and be like, eh, who cares? They beat Rice, but I don't know. Hashtag rank UTSA. Even me as a Texas State fan, I can't deny what they're doing right now. So, you know, hurts my heart, but also, you know, it, it is what it is. UT, I got to give credit to where it's due. So, uh, <laughs> Oh, I didn't stop it. That's a problem on my part. Um, anyway, that's <laughs> that'll do it for us on Sunday. Mike, I want to thank you, man. You mentioned you'll be at BYU at Baylor this weekend. It should be a fun one. Uh, we'll and North back. Texas Marshall, because that's oh, Friday. Oh, you're doing a double header. Oh, man, you're yeah. doing a double yeah. in this weekend. That should yeah. be a good I've one. thought about, so SMU, I believe, plays on Thursday. Yeah. Or no, that's next, next week. They, week, play. Next week. they play next week. I was thinking about doing like the Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That would be, that's my yeah. ideal schedule. One day that'll happen in the state. <laughs> I know you'll, you of all people will be the one to look for something like that. So hopefully it'll happen. Um, but yeah, we'll be back Wednesday. Uh, hopefully Mallory will be back with us too for to preview all of these games coming up. Mike Craven, appreciate you, man. Absolutely.